I'm Nicole Kasperson, fintech journalist, and this is What the Fintech. As a journalist who has covered the finance sector over the last five years, I've had the opportunity to interview and engage with some of the best minds in the space. The media landscape is changing, and financial services is grabbing the attention of a more diversified audience than ever before. As a member of that growing demographic, I will provide direct access to the inner workings of a complex industry while bringing an unconventional perspective to news coverage. Leaving big bank earning reports to the boring traditional media firms, I'll focus on the tech-savvy apps, digital investing platforms, challenger banks, and payment giants to drive relevant content that looks forward to disruption instead of fearing it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to What the Fintech, a podcast for fintech professionals who are ready to shape the future of our industry with innovation and inclusion. I'm your host, Nicole Kasperson, and today I'm interviewing Rishi Khanna. He's the CEO of StockTwits, a social media service for retail investors. It's a 5 million member community and continues to grow as the platform reimagines the future of financial media, investing and trading services, and the tools that are needed for the next generation. In this conversation, Rishi and I get very real about entrepreneurship, the evolving landscape of fintech meets content, and what Tupac song can help you in your investing journey. Rishi, I'm so happy to have you with us here. Welcome to What the Fintech. Thank you, Nicole. Happy to be here. Excited to, for our conversation. Yeah, super excited. So to start, how are you today and where are you working from? I am good. I am working from uh, our office in sunny New York City, uh, close to Bryant Park. I am the only one that comes into the office, but uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm here. It's uh, warmer today, which is nice. I think we're in the 40s and stuff, but uh, yeah. <laughs> 40s and stuff is warmer for us here in New York. Yeah, I know. I'm. It's nice for like a sunny day for a change. So obviously you're like nice and flexible with with your team there for them to you know not always want to come into the office. Yeah, clearly. I, I guess is that yeah. so that is something cool with you. Hybrid life. You give the option if. Yeah, I mean, we you know uh, obviously at the start of COVID, we were we were concentrated in New York City, our, our core team um, for the most part. But since then, we've kind of evolved to become a remote first org, and we do have you know I'd say maybe still like 15, 20% of our team is in the you know, tri-state area. But we've now you know, expanded greatly over the last two years and we're in 10 states in the US uh, and I think we're in seven countries now as well. So we've kind of embraced the remote world and uh, uh, you, know, you can't, it's hard to turn back the clock from that. Um, right. And so, yeah, so we're, we're doing our best to thrive in, that, in this new world. All right, awesome. Well. I also love opening up the conversation by learning just more about you and your background and because I do truly believe that helps, you know, influence your your leadership. And, you know, you let me know before that you did grow up with kind of this entrepreneurial calling within you. You know, where do you think that that kind of stems from? And feel free to, you know, share a, a story or experience or, you know, a moment that kind of made you feel, I want to do this. I don't know if there's a moment, but um, I thought about this more. And I think, you know, for me specifically, and I don't know if it's true for everybody, but um, I do think, you know, when you have that nature versus nurture conversation, I think entrepreneurship is very much in my nature, right? It wasn't something mm -hmm. I kind of developed. I think, you know, at a young age, it was something I, I observed in myself, whether it was in you know junior high and even high school, like having like small businesses and different things. 
I think it might be a function of, you know, my, my dad's an engineer on one side and my mom's, you know, kind of very much a creative person and, uh, you know, kind of on that side. So like both left brain, right brain kind of things going on. And, and to me, entrepreneurship is one of those ways to express both the joy of building things, but also having to be, you know, creative to solve problems and do it, you know, in, in a way that maybe somebody else isn't doing it or better than somebody else is doing it. So I think that's where it's born. And it was, something I just kind of kept building upon, right? From before high school into high school and then, you know, into college. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that it was in my nature and I, and I was able to find and embrace it and uh, go from there. There's something about post, I guess we're in post-pandemic life-ish that makes, yeah, like ish, um, ish. That, makes, uh, <laughs> that makes it feel like you can do more of that, right? Like you can do more things that, okay, if you're, you know, both very operational, but also want to be very creative, like, oh, there's different kind of pathways. There's just like so many new like job opportunities and things you can do, you know, from like crypto to even, you know, even what is like, what is like stock twits, right? Like that's so awesome to just even like kind of be a part of like the transformation of like information, right? Like there's so many different places you can go to be both, you know, aspects of yourself. And I think we're just getting like more creative with our jobs every day and bringing our like passions more. And I do think that stems a lot from the pandemic. Yeah, I think I think the pandemic has helped open people up to those opportunities. I think foundationally, you know, over the last 30 years, the rise of tech and what information access has enabled. And this is something that applies in the microcosm of Stockwitz, but I think just generally speaking, right? Uh, information is just so much more accessible to us. Tools are so much more accessible and it's gotten only exponentially better over doing startups in the 90s was very different than doing startups uh, today, right? Uh, <laughs> even doing startups in the, you know, aughts and the teens, it just, it's gotten a lot easier and we're seeing it obviously in, in our current iteration of post-COVID or almost post-COVID of all the kind of individual businesses you can build. It doesn't have to be a you know, 100,000 person company that has to be your ambition. You can be an entrepreneur and be a solopreneur. You can be a small business entrepreneur and, and access to a global market is there because of, you know, this thing uh, called, you know, the internet and the access to information. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really, I was lucky to be born, you know, kind of at the right time to be, you know, a part of that journey there. Yes. And I'm excited to dive into kind of you having this like amazing timing with everything that you're doing in, in your career and right now. Um, but first, I have to ask. So both of your parents are Indian immigrants. How has that first question shaped your values today, which is, I know, a loaded question. So feel free to just <laughs> pick like the main one because uh, I have uh, an immigrant parent as well. So I know that that just does fuel so much of who you are. And, you know, there's a lot of like reflection that comes with that and yeah. childhood experiences and, okay, how do I bring those lessons learned to adulthood? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, as you know, right, having an immigrant parent, um, you know, I think, you know, it's not unique to me, uh, but just, you know, when they, my parents came from India, you know, post-college kind of thing and um, worked their way up and uh, just very much, you know, kind of hardworking atmosphere. I think, you know, the two things that were really instilled were that work ethic of, hey, you just got to work hard. You know, you got to take responsibility, you know, for, for working hard and doing that. And then also learning, um, which I think is very, going back to our entrepreneurial conversation is very, you know, important for, you know, just entrepreneurship, but just in general and, and having both the formal kind of 
academic uh, pressures or, or intensities yeah. that come with immigrant parents. Uh, and, you know, uh, got to do well in school, got to, you know, focus on, you know, that. But, um, but you know, I was, fo- you know, again, fortunate to have kind of both sides of uh, the hard work and learning, but also have you know, probably a little bit more freedom and openness for my parents in terms of, you know, my ability to interact socially and, you know, kind of do, you know, that side of things, even some of the entrepreneurial stuff I was doing in, you know, high school and stuff, I just encourage that. But, you know, very much the, you know, it did come back to, you know, get good grades, work hard, you know, put in that effort. And and that's something you need to do if you're going to start a business or, or you know, want to be successful in general, right? Uh, I don't think, yeah, there's a little bit of a controversial statement maybe, but, you know, there's, there's this been this movement to, hey, you know, work-life balance and things like that, which is totally great. And I think most people should have that and go for that. But if you want to do something, if you want to build something and be a part of something that's going to be game-changing, world-changing, industry-changing, you're probably going to have to put in more than, you know, eight, nine hours a, a day, at least in the beginning. And um, I think having, you know, kind of the values and, and of first-generation immigrants, you get a lot of that no matter where they're from, really. And I love that you were able to like tie kind of that common thread because, you know, like my mom's from the Philippines and I totally feel that as well, right? You just are kind of instilled with this like work ethic, but then able to kind of modernize it and customize it to your own, you know, more, I guess, Americanized style. But yeah, yeah it has allowed me to also, yeah, I'm also a founder building something, you know, just a, it's it's content, but like, I know, I know. The, uh, the grind is real. And, Absolutely. Um, so, Absolutely. and so, um, it does take like, uh, you know, it's, it's like finding that balance between like your passion and your, and your work. And then like, you also just get even more, like, I'm like more emotional than I ever was before when it comes to my work. Cause my work is like, is me now. I mean, it's not is me, but you know what I mean? Like it's, of course. it's, it's something I'm building. So like, yeah. it's, yeah. And I'm sure you've, you've just felt that like, and by the way, as a founder, it's okay. Like as a founder, it is okay to be you. I know people say, don't make your work your identity. And, and I get that. And that's probably yeah. not healthy for 95% of people out there. But, you know, I don't separate kind of my work life and my personal life. You know, you just, I, and for me, I think it is something that is intertwined because totally. I enjoy it, right? I'm not dreading it. I mean, there are up days, there are down days, there are great days, there are shitty days, but um, embrace it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. I love that. There's, yeah, there's no perfect formula for anyone. And it's like, you have to just do it the best, the best that yeah. fits for you uh, and what you want to build. And um, yeah, I totally think that like your work life and your personal life are, well, they're, they're definitely very connected, right? Like you, one needs to be, you know, they're, they're balanced that one needs to be right so that the other one works and vice versa. Um, yes. So also, okay. So then my other question in regards to your parents, um, is what was it like expressing to them that entrepreneurship was the path for you over maybe more traditional careers? Cause I know that yeah. I'm still trying to convince my mom that I do more than just play on Twitter all day. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, that, I don't think that's ever going to change for us by the way. So, uh, um, yeah, for me, you know, again, as I was saying, I, I did have, uh, I was fortunate to have, um, I think a little bit more space in that sense. A lot of it because I, you know, I was, I, I did well academically and, you know, so there was that. And, you know, on my, on my dad's side, he was the engineer, right. And, uh, and I'm an engineer uh, as well. I'm a, a you know, CS and double E uh, by, by education and background. Um, but, you know, he was, you know, on that side of it, it was cool. Um, you know, on my mom's side, it was definitely, you know, either, 
okay, engineering is fine, or become a doctor, preferably a doctor. Um, so that that didn't work out for her. Thought it worked out fine for me, but <laughs> but not for her on that front. But you know, there there's the you know there was there had been the element for a long time of. You know, she didn't know the names of the companies I was working for. They, you know, or you know, hey, that I'm starting my own company as opposed to you know, go work for the big as an engineer, work for the Intel, work for the Microsoft, work for mm-hmm. the names that you would know, right? But she was still supportive through that, I think. But you know, it was definitely one of those things where, hey, you should be a doctor, but if you're not going to be a doctor, hey, yeah, maybe maybe work for a company that I know. Uh, why why don't you want to take that job? Why don't you you know work at this big company uh, where uh, you know I hear all these people work and it's great. So that was a long process. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I I did my first startup right out of college. Um, so you know that was definitely a jarring thing there. And then I did my next startup in 07 again. But, uh, you know, now, um, I think now it's all good. (laughs) Yeah, I I love (laughs) I love that. I love that story. I know you're like, oh, no, I think she's chilling. So, okay. um, Speaking of college, I'm excited to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, you going to Cornell in the 1990s, and just having a lot of interesting experiences, uh, you know, including launching your first startups. And so how did, you know, that early experience really like pave the path for where you are today? Yeah. Uh, again, I think this is a function of like kind of timing and luck, right? Where I went, uh, I was at Cornell from 95 to 99, uh, which was very much the rise of kind of the tech, you know, dot-com time, a lot of tech, a lot of investment there. Um, and even though I wasn't on the West Coast at Cornell, we actually had a pretty thriving, I think, kind of community in that sense. And, you know, I started working on projects at Cornell. My first one, actually, I don't even know that I told you this, but my first one with my first, uh, with my roommate for most of the time, uh, Steve and, uh, and another friend, Matt, we actually launched something called campusspot.com, which was a social network for college students um, <laughs> to connect them. Didn't quite take off uh, in the same way as maybe some other social networks took off uh, five to 10 years later. But uh, that was actually one of the first forays. You know, we had this company called theglobe.com that was uh, uh, born out of Cornell. And it was like one of the first, I think still to this day, one of the highest flying IPOs. I mean, it obviously crashed, but it went public at like $9 and closed the first day of $100. So there was that buzz and energy. Um, And then I ended up, you know, kind of starting uh, my first funded startup with a co-founder, uh, Noah and another co-founder, Rich. And, and Noah and I went to school together, Cornell together. And, um, you know, we met, he was a very successful DJ. I was a college DJ and that's, you know, kind of how we connected over that. Uh, we have another friend, Josh, also Cornell, also big VC now, um, Josh Wolf, who was also in that kind of circle. And that's how we all, I think, connected Matt. But, you know, Noah and I started this company and uh, Noah today is the CEO of Acorns, coincidentally. So it's uh, kind of funny how full circle this comes, you know, 20 years later, he's the CEO of Acorns. I'm the CEO of uh, StockTwits. Our, our other co-founder, Rich, is uh, the founder and uh, of 35 Ventures. And so he's Kevin Durant's business partner and manager. Um, and they do a ton of investing right across Coinbase and Robinhood and all those things as well. And yeah, we've had an interesting class come out of there. I recently um, reconnected with an acquaintance uh, who's now, she's now the CMO of Yield Street, right? Another fintech high flyer. And, you know, uh, so it, it's, you know, the the shaping of kind of the entrepreneurial being there at that time and, and giving, you know, kind of me the energy and excitement to go after starting something and, you know, just kind of getting the exposure, I think, to networks and communities in that 
space and then moving to New York City in 99 and just falling in love with New York City where I actually had taken a full-time job in Boston, but then we were able to, you know, kind of launch our startup. So I, I called that founder CEO the night before I was supposed to start, be like, hey, I'm not going to be there. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, and by the way, 20 years later, he is now my neighbor, lives down the street, uh, you know, and uh, we bumped each other at a, uh, you know, a tech event here in the city and like, wait a minute, that's crazy, right? Um, so, wow. yeah, it was very, very much a formidable time. And I, I do think, you know, timing is a big part of it. And, uh, you know, being out there and putting yourself out there, taking the shots is uh, what was uh, kind of uh, evolved for me. Yeah. Wow. I mean, just how crazy, like, yeah, I mean, to to think that you had had just this like crew of, you know, folks who would, and you don't know it at the time, right? That would eventually become leading executives in the fintech space. And then you guys just like, and we weren't like, doing anything close to fintech, right? Our yeah, first startup was, you know, content and community. Like that was our first startup. Uh, yeah. It was oh, in the music yeah, space. So had nothing to do with fintech finance. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. That so it was, point. yeah, it's, uh, it is a, you know, just kind of how you see the evolution, right? And, and exposure uh, to the different things. Um, yeah. It, it is one of those things that still, I'm just like, wow, like look at that journey. <laughs> look at the people and we've just been lucky, I guess. Yeah. I mean, if you like think about it too, I mean, so you originally started out, right. Creating something a little bit more about community and content and um, so interesting. And now, you know, even though it is fintech, it's still very like, look what, look what fintech has become. Now it is about content. It is about community. Yeah. I mean, that is so cool. Before I like continue asking questions about like fintech and content, um, what kind of music were you guys DJing in Cornell in, in you know, 95? I'm primarily, you know, kind of party DJ. So like, I, I, you know, I love hip hop. So there's a lot of hip hop and, uh, and pop too, right? Like, you know, you just want to have fun, want to get people uh, kind of dancing and have a good time. Uh, <laughs> Noah and Josh both also kind of much better than me, but in that same ilk, and they're both from New York City. You know, I'm from Rochester, so a little different vibe. But uh, yeah, so a lot of that. And uh, it's great still to this day. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of my one of my passions. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. I know. I can't wait to ask you more about it towards the end. But um, what we've seen is also just with like this access that you kind of spoke about earlier, right? With more access to information comes more responsibility. And we've definitely seen that from, you know, the political atmosphere to GameStop stock frenzy. You know, what were maybe the first few weeks like when you, you know, were starting at StockTwits and how much has just changed, right? With all this, so much has changed. Um, but from your view, how has it been, right? Kind of adapting to all of the change that, you know, since you started out and is there anything that's kind of like, maybe just stayed the same? Yeah. So, I mean, so I started early 2020, so right before COVID. So yeah. a lot happened. Uh, <laughs> you know, I like to characterize 2020 kind of each quarter in, in kind of different stages, right? I mean, the first quarter, you know, I joined in January and, you know, there was a lot going on. And obviously March is when, you know, COVID really hit in, in the U.S. and made its impact. But so, I, you know, Q1 was kind of, I characterize as chaos. You know, Q2 was... You know, picking up the pieces and triaging it. And Q3 was, you know, I think for us going into recovery. And then, you know, Q4 was meant to be that return to growth and like really, you know, being able to think, you know, beyond the, you know, what's going to happen in the next two weeks, four weeks kind of thing. And so for us, there's been a lot of, uh, I think, in our space, right? The individual investor and trader in the retail space, 
I think the biggest change that evolved out of that was just for the next generation, right? The millennials uh, and the Gen Zs and, and you know, no, you're not part of it. I know you want to be, but uh, <laughs> I, I try to tell my wife, I'm a millennial, I swear. Like, what are the numbers again? I know, um, I'm not a Gen Z. <laughs> uh, and I'm, you know, I'm Gen X, but, you know, we saw, I think, you know, the massive introduction to the market because it was the only game in town. It was the only thing happening um, for a long time. But, you know, it's, it's also one, of, it's a very important thing because it's one of the few you know, wealth engines left in the U.S. And, and, you know, in society in general, like where you can really kind of build wealth, right? Um, we are set up to reward assets and, and wealth. We are not set up to reward just, you know, kind of work and income as, as a society. Now, whether that's mm-hmm. good or bad, we can have a whole separate podcast on. Um, <laughs> but so I think that the fact that it opened a lot of people's eyes and introduced them to it, because millennials especially were, you know, very much underinvested compared to Gen X and boomers and stuff. So I thought, you know, that's, that's a big plus. And, and, you know, it's an apprenticeship game. It's a trades kind of game, meaning you kind of got to learn it by just being in it. Um, and that doesn't mean everyone has to be a super active portfolio manager and, you know, trade every day or anything like that. Um, but when you first get started, there's a little bit of that element, right? Because there, it's, it's, there's, rushes that come out of it and obviously the GameStop frenzy and everything with AMC and meme coins and things like that uh, really play into that. But ultimately, I do think the big impact is it's introduced people to it. I think, you know, they've learned pretty, a little bit more about the system than uh, in a much faster way than they would have. And that's, I think, a net positive for the long term, uh, as long as they know how to wield it correctly and, and kind of, you know, okay, adjust now and and learn and evolve whether it is they want to you know manage part of their you know assets and portfolios uh, actively or also just you know hey allocate and know that the markets are where you know you can build wealth and you know compounding is a magical tool and uh, you know be aware of it right be aware uh, of all the things around you and uh, so i think that's the big positive um uh, Things a lot of things haven't changed. I mean, for us as a business, we've obviously grown and everything, so that's mm-hmm. you know changed. But I, I think the things that probably haven't changed are you know, fundamentally, it's still about information, and it doesn't matter what kind of investor or trader you are. You know, there's different domains whether you're crypto or equities or options or alternatives or real estate. Um, you know, information is the key, and that that has remained very much constant. I think we are seeing an explosion in access to information because there were so many people on um, that were coming online. And so whether it's content and community, right, which I think is a big part of that apprenticeship model. And I think that's why, you know, one of the strengths of StockTweets of how do you find your communities and tribes of what you're interested in and, and how can we do a better job to serve that and to enable that and empower that as we build. But, uh, you know, so we've seen an explosion there, but, you know, fundamentally it will still be about information how do you use it? How do you understand it? You know, who are you learning from to understand it? And uh, and now you have a lot more ways to do it. There's a lot more startups, a lot more, a lot of investment going into you know spaces in the investing world and the, the trading world. And uh, so it's you know I think it, it's a net big positive. Um, there's a lot of things still to be cautious of and worried about whether it's in stocks, whether it's in crypto, whether it's in NFTs in the new world, kind of there, but um, but it's still still very much the way to, you know, kind of plan for your future, I think. I think that, you know, it's just bringing that you know, communal aspect to, you know, investing and trading and, and wealth management in general, right? You know, I feel like there's probably a correlation between 
just the mass amount of information and content that's out there that can be really hard to navigate and feel very overwhelming, especially for investors, right? You know, even in times, you know, like we're in right now, um, you know, between, you know, the Russia's invasion of Ukraine and things happening and folks being, you know, confused, maybe not understanding, like, what do these sanctions mean? What is going to happen financially? And, you know, um, you know, not, of course, caring first about, like, people are at war and dying, but like, also, you know, what does this mean for our global economy? And, but what sometimes brings comfort in these times is like, you know, oh, there's like a 5 million member community that I can maybe lean on to help me decipher through the noise. You know, I feel like there's like, obviously that co- correlation between content and community and one helping out the other. Well, and I'll, let me share one, you know, one kind of interesting thing that came up last week as a result of, you know, the, the, uh, you know, uh, Ukraine, Russian war kind of going on. Um, so, you know, we have, uh, our daily newsletter called the daily rip, which goes out seven days a week. Um, end of day covers the markets, covers what's going on. You know, it's an amazing newsletter. We have an awesome team that puts that out. Uh, we have, you know, 1.2 million plus subscribers just on that newsletter with like, you know, awesome, uh, awesome engagement. But, you know, we were covering Ukraine, uh, you know, a decent amount and we started getting some feedback like, Hey, you're not a new site, like, you know, let's just go back to the markets. And, uh, you know, and we responded, you know, like, hey, these massively impact the markets. If you haven't noticed, you know, the markets are not a vacuum that exists outside of the real world. They are very much impacted by the real world. So whether it's global warming and climate change, which are long macro things, or whether it is the war in Russia and, and what's going to happen with, you know, all the sanctions and, and the impacts of that, uh, currency, you know, these are all things that are interconnected, you know, the impact, what, what's the impact on crypto, et cetera, you know, oil, that's going to affect our day-to-day lives, right? In, in terms of the gas, you know, pump, uh, heating, uh, things of that nature. So, you know, I think content's really important in the community to connect, uh, again, like, you know, you know People tend to seek out like-minded communities, and you know uh, we've we've kind of worked really hard to kind of put that information out there. And we have a lot more work to do and a lot more opportunity ahead of us. But you know, the rip is was one of those examples where we literally had to address it. Um, of hey, this matters. This matters a lot of in, in the world economy and the markets, uh, and we should be paying attention to it. And like kudos to you guys, right, for having like uh, a, a teaching moment with your audience because I think, yeah, it can be, I think that's maybe, I was again, I was eventually going to ask you, you know, what do you think people misunderstand about like the fintech industry? But I think what people maybe misunderstand about the market first is that it is emotional. It is like, it's what it is tied to completely to world events. And yeah. um, to think otherwise, you know, to think that like the you know geopolitical atmosphere and that, and markets are not, are like two separate things and like, okay, well, information sources should just stick to only doing markets. And then like, you know, politics is politics is like that. No, 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 no. If we've learned anything from COVID, we are so connected in every single way. Right. Yeah. So I appreciate that you guys like are putting that message out to your, you know, millions of of viewers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we are humans at the end of the day. Right. So we're not robots yet. You know, we're not automatons. And I spent a lot of time in the hedge fund industry and, you know, kind of learning and observing there and behavioral finances, you know, where you kind of study the human psychology and stuff, that is probably one of the most important components. If you are a trader or an active investor, 
understanding your biases and understanding your personal behavior is really important to being successful as an investor and and managing risk and all those things. And if you're going to be active in the market, you need to understand that you know, we're humans and the world is connected and we're more and more connected every day. And that's that's why all this stuff matters. And, and you know, and spend time uh, really kind of diving into that. There's some uh, amazing work uh, kind of in that space of behavioral finance and psychology and stuff. Is that something you think about even just when it comes to like, I guess, the future of stock twits and, you know, what are you like excited for? I guess it's just about like continuing. It's like the momentum and growing and like, right, because they're like exactly like fintech and the markets and just content around this and the community. There's so much momentum right now. It's like, how do you decipher what rocket ship you're trying to be on? Because you're like stock twits touches just all of it, you know, so it's almost like. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it's definitely, a, you know, a challenge as a CEO, one of my, you know, uh, one of my core jobs is you know, capital allocation. Where do we invest our time and resources? Right. But, you know, I think we have a ton of opportunity. We've, we've done a great job of over, you know, and StockTwits is not like a new startup. It's been around, you know, it was founded in 2008, um, and it's, you know, stood the test of time and organically, you know, our community of you know, grown has grown to 6 million plus members. And that's been very organic. And, and we've done a great job of that, you know, highly engaged community in the conversations. Uh, you know, for us, the opportunity now is to deliver a lot more value to that community to help them on this journey, whether they are, you know, existing pros or new to the game, help them on the journey through content and community to help them learn and, and help them, you know, find new ideas to invest in, uh, and then give them the tools, give them the data, you know, that information access you know, drop those barriers and, and give them as much of a level playing field with all the other participants in the markets, whether it's institutions or not, you know, enable them through that and empower them through that. And then ultimately connect the dots to, to their execution, you know, and then trading wherever they are. And the exciting thing for us, and I, you know, I think we talked about this a little before, which is the world is more and more global, right? There's no denying that. And, you know, Stockwitz has historically been primarily US centric. So we're really expanded, you know, kind of excited about the international opportunities ahead of us and growing and, and bring, you know, connecting the global community and not just the US uh, stock investors. Um, so that's, there, there's a ton to come and we, we can totally dive into that more too yeah. later. But uh, yeah. uh, I think it's just, you know, going to be really exciting across the board. And we're built for the long term, right? We're not, um, not going anywhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, okay, yeah, I have two things. One, where in like across the globe are you maybe like most excited or yeah. maybe you love them all? Um, and yeah, we'll start there and then I'll ask my other question. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think, um, you know, where we're expanding next and it's very much public information and what's that we're out there is, you know, India is our next kind of main focus from a go-to market expansion, right? Launching there. Uh, for the obvious reasons uh, and some maybe not so obvious reasons, the obvious ones being it's a big market, 400 million millennials, really you know underinvested in the market. I think it's you know, depending on which report you read or which research you read, it's between two and four percent are invested in the market. So you know compared to the U.S., where we're about 50 percent of you know um, households in the U.S. have you know exposure to the market. So huge opportunity, growth opportunity there. And I also think, you know, uh, again, from a demographic perspective, from what are going to be the catalysts to get people into the markets and get them interested, I think social and community is a big part of it. But I also think you know, there's a lot of tech companies in India that are maturing that are going to be going public or have started going mm -hmm. public. Uh, and that is 
I think one of those psychological um, uh, factors where, hey, I know the name of this company now, right? And it's not that old company that my mom or dad, you know, uh, you know, always are, are fans of. This is like the new tech company. It's going public. I can now buy shares in it. Wow, um, you know, I can you know own a piece of it because I, I'm a, I'm a user or I'm excited about it. And so I think those you know some of those types of underlying catalysts uh, for us is really exciting. Um, you know, in India. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of other markets in the near term, you know, uh, Australia, not nearly as big, but, you know, active, uh, next gen, mm-hmm. you know, investing in trading community, uh, you know, places like Brazil, Mexico, you know, places in Europe uh, in the near term. Uh, and then over the long term, I think the opportunity outside the U.S. in investing and trading in the markets is just huge when you look much you know, further out, you know, you look at Africa, you look at South America as a whole, Latin America as a whole, you look at Southeast Asia as a whole, you know, that's, you know, even, you know, Africa, Middle East, um, just the demographics suggest that, you know, there's going to be a lot more interest. There's going to be a lot more um, excitement around owning your investments and, you know, kind of getting exposure to the markets. And so that'll be really, I think for us, that'll be a great opportunity, but just generally uh, I'm excited to see how this evolves, like, you know, how, how, things evolve for uh, the companies, the technologies, and everything around it. No, that's awesome. Like the international markets is such an area that I love paying attention to because it's just right. It's going back to that connectivity. Like we're, we're really starting to feel it now and, and starting to feel kind of like our more digital world actually like kind of helping us expand to other markets. And it's just great to see uh, for, you know, for once it's like, I don't love when like the U.S. feels so siloed, right? And so when it comes to, like fintech and and you know uh, content and equity, it's nice to to bring that to to other emerging markets like India. Um, and then my other question that I had when you were talking before was really just you know do you do feel like that because Stocktwits has been around maybe a bit longer than some of like the other social investing, social media driven platforms out there? You know, do you think that like helps with why you guys are so massive and you know what do you think helps you kind of stand out from the competition because yeah there's just like more more competition is coming up which is you know always good for the market but like just curious yeah. what you think of that yeah, from, from a social perspective i think you know it does well i'll say i'll say two things one is while we are large you know we're not like that right i mean six million members great, that's large, but, you know, we're not like Twitter large or anything. We're not ubiquitous. And I think that's a big opportunity for us. Uh, you know, I emphasize that we've grown organically, but there's probably an opportunity for us to grow organically, like, you know, marketing and stuff and getting the name out there and, and sharing with the broader community. And that's what we've slowly started doing. We'll, we'll be more aggressive about that probably later this year and, and in the coming future. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunity for us there. But I think, yeah, you know, having an, you know, uh, this organically grown community, highly engaged what that does is when you come to stockwitz these are very liquid communities I, and i and yeah that's kind of the term i really like to use because for social and for conversation it is about liquidity right you don't want to go someplace and it's like you know five people talking and maybe they post once every other day you go on the amc stream on stockwitz right now and um, i will tell you there's a very active conversation and you know, and we have the ability to capture the zeitgeist across, you know, what's happening in the market. So, you know, our trending feature is really cool. And it's, I mean, something I use, you know, multiple times a day because we're updating it. I believe, you know, it gets updated every five minutes. But you can see what is the community like, you know, what's trending in the community? Like, what are people talking about? 
not just in absolutes, because then that'll always be the big companies, but you know, on a relative basis, meaning, hey, all of a sudden people are talking about SoFi, right? So from last night to this morning, and I don't know if it's still number one right now, trending, but SoFi, because they had you know great earnings report and uh, last night, and uh, so that became you know the number one conversation, and you know on weekends it's pretty much all crypto, right? I mean, because the you, you know, stock markets are closed, and so. Uh, crypto gets to take over and, you know, being 24 seven is uh, both a gift and a curse there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so to me, I think that's one of our biggest advantages from that social perspective is that, you know, we have a large, highly active, highly engaged community and that leads to liquidity. So when new people come, you know, it's really interesting Now we have a lot of work to do to make it, you know, more accessible and, you know, and, and how do we, uh, you know, further deliver value and let the cream rise to the crop and a bunch of other things. But, yeah, I think that definitely helps us. And, and, and yeah, like that's because we've been around and we've stood the test of many a markets and many, a, you know, ups and downs uh, over the years. And uh, yeah. like I said, we're not going anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, great, great answer. I mean, right now it's all about niche markets, right? Right now it is, it is all about, you know, yeah, sure. There might be another, you know, platform out there that has 50 million followers or whatever, but then, you know, but for you to have 5 million or 6 million, just highly engaged, right? Like that actually is, you know, far more valuable because um, it's really more about like having that engagement as opposed to, you know, having a massive following. I mean, that's why like micro influencers exist or like, yeah. you know, or, you know, how even someone like myself can even like monetize a, a podcast and a newsletter, right? Because, you know, and I have a, you know, I have like almost 8,000 subscribers, but like that, you know, at the end of the day, and I'm growing, but like, I want them to be so as engaged as possible. Like, you know, if I get a couple unsubscribers, that's fine, because I want them engaged. So yeah, it's like, you know, is when you do you think about that when you think about like the long term vision? Or are you like, I want to be huge? No, absolutely. Well, well, I think that's, I think that's actually complementary to each other. Because yeah. I think, you know, you get huge by serving the micro communities or what I call tribes, right? So that's one of the, you know, efforts we have underway this year is, how do we, you know, better enable tribes to form and connect? And, you know, what are the dynamics there? Because, you know, the world of investing and trading is very wide, right? You can't just like, yeah, we can all just call it investing, but it is, you know, tons of different ways. So in the trading world, right, like you have, you know, one extreme of, you know, whether it's just day trading, but, you know, swing traders, momentum traders, technical analysts and charting, you know, so those are all communities unto themselves. And the other extreme, like, you know, you have your long only value investors, which, you know, has been a rough existence for the last 10 years, you know, but you might have ESG investors or cannabis investors or IPO and SPAC investors, uh, you know, and, and event driven and global macro. And so there's so many different styles and communities there. And that's, you know, I think by now helping and focusing and giving the tools and, and ways for those communities to form and connect and find each other, you know, because you may not be interested in the conversation that's hap happening between two technical analysts on a specific stock, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Because you're a long-term buy and hold. You're not going to be going in and out of that position on a weekly basis because that's just not how you invest or trade, right? But so how do we help you find that? But that's how you get big too, right? If you solve the small problems, mm -hmm. if you solve it for those individual communities, and then you can connect them and, and bring them, you know, all together on a platform, you know, you have that opportunity to get bigger and bigger there. And it's not just by strategy or style. It's also about, you know, global, like I said, expanding to other countries and covering other markets and expanding asset classes, right? So we're, we've, you know, been pretty fortunate in the world of crypto. And now we're launching, you know, into NFTs, 
into you know an expanding kind of data and information there uh, alternatives and collectibles again these are things that are available to the next generation of investors right my dad didn't have that you know when i was when i was growing up my dad had stocks and mutual funds right and if he was really getting crazy maybe bonds or something and you know i remember in the 80s taking the stock prices of his portfolio which was like you know five or six stocks maybe i don't even know and I would take the prices out of the newspaper every day and look them up, right? And that super fine print. And I'd chart them on graph paper. Like I was my dad's mint.com, you know, before uh, <laughs> that was around. Uh, and I would, you know, chart the prices and all that. Um, but now, you know, between all, all the things that you, Nicole, have access to invest in right now, it's way more than just stocks and mutual funds, right? So, um, so I think that's, you know, it's by being able to serve those communities and, and it's a challenge, you know, trying to serve all of them. But, you know, that's that's the challenge we've, we're going to take on. Yeah, no, I love it. And I love it. And I think it's a unique factor, right, of, of Stockfoots and, and what you're building and what you're doing. And so really, really, really cool. OK, so then what I'm going to now ask you is we know you love music. Will you share <laughs> your favorite line in a Tupac song that you think really just relates best to like fintech and like this investing community? Is that- well, it, it's not so much fintech, but I mean, it is about investing in markets. Um, and, you know, it's it's not the most positive light uh, in the sense of it, it is the dangers of the market, right? And if you look, you know, I've, I've gotten, you know, pretty into NFTs and, and that world right now, right? That's a very active space. Um, but before NFTs, there was ICOs. And before that, you know, we're, we've also been in the SPAC world too over the last two years, which has mm-hmm. kind of, you know, fallen apart, Uh but this happens to all asset classes. It's happened through the test of time. And it's, you know, about how people go about, you know, kind of taking advantage of the moment just to make some money, um, maybe not in the best way. And so the line, you know, is one of my one of my lines that I kind of describe the NFT world right now is, you know, given all the projects and rug pulls that kind of happen is you know, from uh, the changes track, right, uh, which is, you know, you got to operate the easy way. I made a G today. Yeah, but you made it in the sleazy way selling crack to the kid, <laughs> you know, I got to get paid. Well, Hey, that's just the way it is. And so, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of that that happens in, uh, in the markets and stuff. It's, uh, and, and so I think that's where, again, community and education and, you know, what can we do to help people avoid that and not get uh, caught up there? It's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, and you have to like, like acknowledge and what a better way to kind of acknowledge some of the, you know, more, I guess, darker sides, right. Of things than through, you know, relating it with like music or just like other things. And, um, I mean, I do that like all the time. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to pick my favorite song lyric though, that relates to like FinTech and investing. I'll have to, I'm going to have to mull that one over. We'll have, we'll <laughs> have a, a FinTech, uh, you know, like karaoke session or something where we'll work oh through my gosh. all. Yes. Yes. All right. I mean, I think, I think the call to action here is actually like a fintech, like New York fintech uh, karaoke session. Pretty sure. Um, so yeah, no one for Acorns can uh, can DJ, <laughs> and then <laughs> and uh, Rishi, you can uh, you know collaborate with him. Although you said he was better, so I don't know. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'll just do the MC. I'll, I'll get everyone up on stage to do singing. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Honestly, being the MC is like the the funnest job. Anyway, amazing, amazing. Well, I will um, ask you maybe just. Two more questions. Okay, so okay. one is out beyond your own company, what is maybe like a novel fintech or business model that is like transforming the space that you admire? I think I'm going to go to where I've been spending time and we just talked about it a little bit is kind of, well, let's call it the crypto slash web three world. 
you know, NFTs being a manifestation of that, um, but really like kind of the things that are happening in decentralized finance. And I think it's really interesting because these first couple waves of fintech, right? Um, and, and fintech is this really broad term because there's mm-hmm. so much in fintech. Um, but these first couple waves, I think a lot of these things have been built on the infrastructure of, you know, decades past, right? Uh, even, even you know, broker like the Robin Hoods and, and those things of the world, they just sit on top of all the legacy infrastructure, right? They're yeah. not rethinking and rebuilding. So I think what's happening with the blockchain, what's happening with the metaverse and how NFTs play a role in that and how I think they're going to do a better job of realizing this vision that fintech is everywhere and fintech touches everything because they're more in this sense of open protocols, you know, and accessibility, right? There's, it's kind of like what, you know, the internet protocols were to the nineties and, and, you know, we're seeing billions of dollars invested in the space. Arguably there's an overinvestment going on, but that's what happens, right? We overinvested in the nineties in fiber and telecom. Those, you know, companies, you know, a lot of them crashed and lost a lot of value from a stock market or, or enterprise value perspective, but they laid the foundation for 5G and, and all the things coming now. And so I think to me, really interesting of, you know, what can blockchain do? What can this, you know, the Web3 metaverse paradigm do of connecting money to the future and how that impacts us really over the long term? Are we really fundamentally going to start changing things and building new foundations and new infrastructure or are we going to remain in, you know, kind of things that were built, you know, 50, 60 years ago and we're just kind of still on top of them? Yeah, no. Oh, my gosh. Great answer. I agree. It's like so exciting to think that, you know, and hard to ignore, right, that we're in this position that we're in. Right. I, I feel almost like lucky, like one of the reasons I even really got into journalism, you know, outside of like changing the world um, was <laughs> to <laughs> is to like, um it's so awesome to just like be able to have the opportunity to report on history and like record what is going on. And, you know, I'm always going to be able to look back and say like, Oh, this is like what, you know, was happening at the time. And I think that that's where we're at right now is, is kind of like the, that precipice of like, you know, the next 10 years or whatever, um, something, something insanely new, some, a new internet, like, you know, and it gonna, it's yeah. going to come with its good and it's bads and it's uglies Absolutely. and it's confusion and everything. But like, here we are. So let's like, Enjoy the ride, I guess. Yeah. And, awesome. Uh, you know, awesome. And, and going back to track, hey, that's just the way it is. <laughs> that's just the way it is. Two bucks at a best. All right. Well, that is awesome. Final thoughts. Please tell us what the F we can expect from you and Stock Twits next. Uh, we're excited. You know, we recently launched uh, crypto trading right in the platform. So that was pretty exciting. Um, we're still waitlist gated because there's a lot that goes into it, but uh, you know we got more and more people uh, kind of that we're letting off and are actively trading. And so I think one of the big parts is connecting that dot. So we're going to be coming out with equities and, and options in the coming you know weeks and months and quarters. So that's going to be really exciting. And then I think you know our the you know asset class expansion, the global expansion that I was uh, alluding to earlier, that's all happening this year. And in 2022 is going to be really this year, I think, of evolution for us. And ultimately, we just want to deliver more value to our users and the community, and and give them the best you know opportunity to learn and profit ultimately and build wealth over time. So we're really excited about that. We have a lot coming up. Uh, you know, Q2, Q3, Q4. I mean, it's just. Mostly, I'm, uh, you know, uh, hey, we're hiring everyone. So, you know, if, if anyone wants, uh, is interested, uh, come on down. But uh, I love it. yeah, I love it. I love it. I love when my guests 
plug that they're hiring. It's like my favorite thing. This is a podcast for profession industry professionals. So, so yeah, that, hey. <laughs> I hope I hope I hope this can be a bridge to, to help you find uh, some so. <laughs> I know. Well, awesome, awesome. Well, this is a wrap on this episode. Thank you so much again, Rishi, for joining us. Um, such an awesome conversation. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you loved this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button. You can find me on all your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time, talk to you all soon. Bye.